Welcome to episode 81 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. Um, I had a couple ideas floating around of what I was going to do for my tip this week, and then Todd asked how my week was going, and I had to tell him a fun little horror story <laughs> from one of my sessions where it was a new semester, and you know, a lot of times with teletherapy, the school is kind of in charge of my schedule because they know more of which kids have which classes when they can be pulled and things like that, which is nice, but sometimes it creates problems where they don't don't realize what students will work well together and which ones will not. And I feel like with telepractice, even more than in person, you have to be really choosy about who you put in groups together. So this particular student was one that has a problem with impulse control and kind of jumping into conversations. And they put this student with another student of mine who needs extended wait time before she can answer a question. (laughs) So that was a bad combination. So some other bad combinations I've had is a student who's only working on articulation with a student that's only working on language. And sometimes, you know, I know that some people have some great resources for those mixed groups, but I think especially once you get to the high school level where I'm trying to get those kids to have as many speech trials as they can in one session so I can get them out of working on articulation by the time they're in high school, then it's really important to communicate with whoever's doing your schedule in the group. Um, to make sure that they know these students need individual sessions. These students would be okay in group sessions. You can get creative and maybe do like shorter individual sessions um, more often rather than trying to fit everyone in groups. But just be mindful of that and be really selective with who you put in groups on telepractice. It's harder to multitask with students. It's harder to be like, okay, you work on this while I work with this student. So you have to consider that when you're thinking about it. So how can you protect your schedule or be the one who's focus, who's who's primarily putting the kids together? I mean, is it you said that the schools, you know, yeah, has yeah. A, so, and I've done it both ways. I'm at one smaller school where I've, they've just given me um, the student schedules and I've, you know, once I have the student schedule, then I can kind of figure it out. Right. Um, I've called and had conversations with uh the people at the school, because especially at the beginning of the school year, I might not know who would work well together and who wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So having that conversation either over email or preferably in phone, because it's just quicker and easier to get through that without a lot of back and forth um, talking to them about which students would work together and which ones wouldn't. And I think also like looking at their goals, who has similar goals and who doesn't to put them in a group together. And a lot of times at the school, you might have like a special education director who doesn't know all the students because there might be, you know, three or four different case managers. Uh, So, you know, just making sure that you communicate that well with, and right now I think Almost every time there's a schedule change, I end up sending the same list of these are my articulation students who need to be seen in individual sessions and just, you know, having the patience to know, like, 
they're dealing with a lot of stuff and this is my one area that I'm dealing with. So I might need to communicate more with them about it. So just communication is key. Yeah. And I guess helping hopefully you, you can have an advocate or someone, a teacher or an aide or someone that can help you. Right. Right. Troubleshoot and I have, issues. I did um, once this year, I've had to actually contact one of the special therapy um, uh, SLPs who was working in person at the school and just like tell her this schedule is not working. I need someone to go over there and fix it. <laughs> Sometimes it might come to that. And she was willing right. to do that. And I was very appreciative of her doing that. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> when all else fails, just call someone like go over. Right. Fix it. <laughs> Well, I, I ran across an article uh, actually a couple of weeks ago that was circulating uh, on some different websites. And, and, and the title of the article basically says, beware of using telemedicine for voice and speech therapy. Hmm. And long story short, uh, it's a little bit of, it's it's kind of misleading in terms of how it's presented, especially the, the, the title of the article. Uh, essentially what, these researchers did was that they were looking at the acoustic analysis of voice and speech in more of a controlled setting, like uh, a sound booth, where you would do some analysis and, and collect that data on a patient, versus doing it over telepractice using some of the common platforms that we're all familiar with. And they were basically saying, you know, you can't really get, you know, the same quality of audio and, you know, same quality of data if you're just doing it, you know, through the through the platform without anything else. Mm. And so from that, you know, it got sort of generated that, oh, it can't be used for voice or speech therapy because you can't get the same results. Mm. Well, that's not exactly what they found. Right. Um so obviously, if you're, you know, just connecting through a platform and you're wanting to record something, you're not going to get the same kind of level of audio uh, when, you know, compared to going into a sound booth right. with, you know, you know, probably high end recording equipment. And so basically, you know, I think what it comes down to is that if you're doing that kind of, of therapy and you need really high quality kinds of recordings, then you augment the platform and mm -hmm. maybe send a, you know, and a microphone or set it up differently on the patient's side of things mm -hmm. so that you can get, you know, pretty good audio. Um, so you're not just getting it through the platform only. And so you, they were kind of comparing apples and oranges when they needed to be comparing more oranges and oranges <laughs> or apples <laughs> to apples. Um, and so, you know, a better study would have, or maybe they'll do some additional studies, but maybe having like some type of, maybe having the patient wear a microphone, a boom mic, mm -hmm. uh, and then doing the recordings versus being in a sound booth. Something like that would be more equivalent to see right. how you can get them. Right. Um, and so I just, you know, I, when I read it, I thought, here's an example of 
you know, I see what they were trying to do in, in saying this, but then the whole interpretation of it of the- and the article that was written didn't really help things. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It didn't really capture exactly what they were trying to do. And it led to, you know, sort of people, as you read the article, maybe thinking, oh, I should never use teletherapy or telepractice right. for any type of voice or speech therapy. And that's, <laughs> not, that wasn't not, their intent, that. but that's right. how it was interpreted. Yeah. And I know that we've had people on before that have been doing voice therapy using telepractice and that it's, they've, you know, done some adjustments and things. And I know like when I've, I've haven't had voice goals through the schools very often, but sometimes Mm -hmm. when I do, I'm like, when I have something like volume come up as we need to work on volume with this student, I have to kind of consider, okay, how am I going to know if they're not speaking loud enough or my volume's not out up loud enough or vice versa. Um, So there are some like adjustments and considerations that need to be um, done, Mm -hmm. but I would not say to not do it. Right. Right. And yeah. So I, it's just one of those things that, you know, I don't want people, if they see articles like that, you know, just make sure you're reading it closely and, and understanding what they're comparing. Because mm-hmm. uh, as, as you're saying, we, we've had several people on uh, the podcast who, who are doing a great job with voice and, and other stuff. So just was just a little misleading and kind of pissed me off a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, it very much was like a gotcha headline, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you're just scanning a headline and reading, oh, I can't use, you know, we shouldn't be right. using telepractice for right. voice. Well, that's not exactly true. Yep. And so on the podcast today, we have someone uh, that we both know uh, and have worked with in the past, and that's Natalie Austin. And Natalie uh, just finished her dissertation uh, looking at telepractice and early intervention and services for kids with hearing loss. She's now in Maine. And uh, she's going to talk about her professional journey and and some of the research that she did for her dissertation and what she found. So I'm excited to talk to her. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and I'll reach out and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. So, Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Can you share a little bit more about your background? 
Of course. And so thank you so much for having me. Um, so my name is Natalie Austin. So currently I serve as the director of early intervention and family engagement at the Maine Educational Center for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. Um, I originally got into this field because of my own experience being um, a person with a hearing loss. And so I uh, initially started learning sign language due to being told this was a progressive hearing loss. And so that led me into the field, um, got my degree, my undergrad and grad degrees at Fontbonne University. So undergrad is in deaf education, emphasis in speech language pathology, and then uh, grad degree is in early intervention and deaf education. Um, and then I just completed my PhD in deaf education at the University of Northern Colorado. And so just kind of a, a winding road. And then I had the opportunity to work with both Dr. Houston and Kim in Utah, Utah State University, where I was the coordinator of birth to three services there um, for the Sound Beginnings program. And so I could talk for hours about all my varied experiences, um, have lived and worked all over, mainly focusing on early intervention, uh, worked in Washington, D.C. for a while, worked in Kenya, Africa, for a while, started a program to teach people who are deaf about HIV and AIDS. Um, and so, and then worked in Colorado, started a teletherapy program for rural Northeast Colorado, which is actually where I was born and raised. And so it was kind of a full circle moment to get to return and be the teacher of the deaf for the BOCES district where, where I received my initial services. And um, so, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> So where did the, the sort of that initial spark for for telepractice or telintervention come from? So actually, I guess I was thinking about this preparing for our discussion. Um, <laughs> when I moved to Utah, I was just off of my time in Africa. And so it was somewhat of the two ends of the spectrum as far as access to technology, access to services went, because um, Sound Beginnings was a new program at the time, very innovative. And so that was actually my first spark and introduction to the possibility of teleservices was, what, 2008. And um and it's so crazy to think about the evolution that we've all experienced in this field in terms of telepractice. And so I remember we were talking about families in rural Utah and just the struggle we were having figuring out access to services, weather involvement, um, technology challenges, travel challenges. And that was when we first started the conversation about implementing telepractice. I remember those days well, right, Ken? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah, it's always something that has kind of like, like you kind of said that it kind of like is a first full circle, um, you know, uh, going home kind of thing. Because I did, that's where I grew up was rural Utah. And like the closest grocery store was 30 minutes away. And, you know, any dance lesson or anything that I wanted to take, we had to get in the car and drive. Like me and my husband both, uh, when we moved into neighborhoods where kids would just come knock on the door and ask if we could play, we were like, this is different. We had to like ride a four-wheeler or our bikes to go play with a friend. <laughs> so, and it is like just different to think about the services and how to get them to those communities. Having the technology available. Yep. Yep. And, no, and using it to the best of our abilities. So Natalie, you, you were exposed to telepractice or telepractice uh, back at Utah State University. 
And so from there, you went where? So from there, I went to Colorado. To Colorado. And you went, and, um, so that was going back home, right? It was going back home, yes. And I had connections with, so the boat, they, in Colorado, and I know in other states, they have um, systems where different school districts kind of partner together and share different special service providers. And in Colorado, it's called a BOCES, so a Board of Cooperative Educational Services. And my sister actually still, to this day, works as a speech-language pathologist for the Northeast Colorado BOCES. Um, My mom was a kindergarten teacher within the school districts, and so I knew several folks who um, who worked for the BOCES and knew the director, and she knew my background in deaf education, and they were just struggling to find somebody to serve their kiddos with hearing loss in their area. But I was living in Denver at the time, and it was, you know, two, three, four hour drive to serve the kiddos. And so I worked with the Colorado Department of Education to pilot a project, which is so crazy to, to say that that was somewhat revolutionary at the time where now it's just such commonplace um, to provide, you know, remote services to serve these kiddos across 11 school districts. And um, so it was a, a lot of partnering with, you know, local professionals, a lot of partnering, you know, for technology, for resources. And um, it was, you know, learn, learned as we, as we went, because it was, it was new to everybody, new to the kiddos. Um, and so for this one, I went out and did on-site visits once a month, which was convenient as well, because my family still lives in the area. I could go to ball games and see see folks. And so, so it um, was double advantageous. And then I could still do classroom observations, um, technology training, technology checks, and all of that. So that was really at that time, um, something that was a requirement for me to be able to provide those services is to have somewhat of a hybrid approach to still see them in person at least once a month. Really a a nice model. And so what was the age range and the kids that you were serving at that point? So it was um, preschool through seniors. And so uh, three to 22. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Quite the range. Yes, it was. Yeah. No, it's to go from early intervention at USU to um, the whole age range of, of kiddos. But um, but it was, I, I absolutely loved it. It was a great challenge and, you know, coming up with um, activities across the spectrum for the ages rather than just color of the week and weather right. and all of those things that we right. did in our toddler classroom at USU. So. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my first clinical placements was our toddler classroom at USU. <laughs> So I'm hoping that the quick shift to telepractice will make some people think like, oh, we could have been serving these kids this way the whole time and to help develop some more of these programs too um, across the country. So do you have any like words of wisdom or things that you learned out of developing a program that people that are thinking about it could use? And it's so interesting to think back on that time and then to think through um, the dissertation that I wrote and the research that I did and then coming into this job and 
coming off of COVID where it was somewhat a forced use of, right. of, tele- sort of telepractice and to try to separate that, to separate those initial lessons learned with the lessons learned from the professionals and parents that I interviewed to um, day-to-day what we're working through. And I mean, like I mentioned, you know, technology is the biggest blessing and curse when it comes to, right. to telepractice. <laughs> And, and especially that, you know, the families who need and benefit from telepractice are often in rural areas, which that comes, you know, socioeconomic challenges, um, just access to technology challenges, access to service challenges. And so um, really a big lesson I've learned is partnering with local agencies to see how we can best get families the technology they need, get internet access, strong internet access, um, figure out, you know, what local resources are available as far as libraries that have uh, strong internet Mm -hmm. services for families that don't have internet in their homes or um, live in such rural areas that it's not physically possible (laughs) to have internet in their homes. So, um, so a lot of, yeah, background work that, Um, needs to be done to get that set up. Um, And then just the biggest thing that I found in all the various aspects of work that I've done is just finding those few key invested people who are willing to partner with you, who are willing to be innovative with you and creative with you, and then hold on, you know, with both hands and really work together to, to, to figure out solutions. And so, um, so that was the biggest thing that I've learned. It's those collaborations and partnerships that are, you know, can make it or break it, right? Yeah, but yeah, I love that idea of, you know, partnering with places that can provide the internet and the libraries too. It's those things that like we don't think about because we're, we're good with working with people and, you know, educators and things like that. But working with like the companies and the infrastructure can be just as important too. Nope, I agree. Yeah. You know, kind of goes into some of the stuff happening at the federal level with with the infrastructure bills and hopefully some of that, as we've talked about before, Kim, but uh, talked about hopefully that'll uh, increase broadband and availability, you know, in more rural areas so that families have better access or or school districts have better access, you know, whoever might need it will have better access. So hopefully that will be one of the positive outcomes for all of that. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so let's talk about your dissertation. You mentioned your, your dissertation. And, and I, because it's again, dealing with rural, rural families and, and getting access to services. So just give us a, a sort of a broad overview of, of your dissertation and what you were looking at and then what you found. Definitely. So a lot of my motivation for my dissertation was kind of combining my my personal experience with my professional experiences. And so Mm -hmm. my personal experience being a child with a hearing loss growing up in a rural school district and experiencing firsthand the challenges that come with service provision in a rural area. And that's always, you know, been a passion er, passion project, passion area of mine because of that. And then I focused on kiddos who have cochlear implants in these rural areas to see what services look like for these kiddos. And if they're, if getting a cochlear implant 
for a kiddo in a rural setting is a viable choice due to the, the challenging factors that come from uh, living in areas without immediate uh, access to resources. And so I really wanted to look at both parent perspective and professional perspectives to really get a, a well-rounded look at it. Um, so my vision for this dissertation is like one tiny step, which is what 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 is the tagline of a good dissertation is a done dissertation. And so, so that's, so this is just one, one small, tiny step in the direction um, of where, where this research can go. But um, so I wanted to look at, uh, so I had seven parents that I interviewed, and then I had seven professionals from a variety of fields. I had teachers of the deaf, uh, SLPs, audiologists, and then gen general education teachers, because I just really wanted to, um, dig deep into everyone's experience with this to see um, moving forward what can be done. And so so my research was done over the summer of 2020, which was a fascinating time to do this yeah. research. Because um, when I started my dissertation, it was well before COVID was even a thought <laughs> in right. our minds. And so um, it was just, it was fascinating to see the impact even over the summer of 2020 that COVID had on services for, for families. And then, um, I mean, I looked at a lot of different areas, but I mean, telepractice was a huge part of my research. And, um, and a lot of the typical things, you know, that we know about telepractice, you know, as far as early intervention home visits, you know, were happening successfully. Um, but something that was of interest was how mentoring was talked about as really being something that was, was very uh, impacted by the use of telepractice for professionals in rural areas, that there was a lot of work done with partnering um, with quote unquote successful urban schools that offered uh, support to kiddos with cochlear implants and having those professionals then through a telepractice model provide mentoring to uh, rural professionals. And so, um, so it, like a lot of the, some of the professionals that I interviewed have been doing this work for 15, 20 years. And so the use of technology was not something that was commonplace for them or that they were used to, but they were somewhat forced to become comfortable with it due to COVID, due to not being able to physically be with their students. And so they talked about how even after knock on wood, like COVID is a thing of the past and we can be together, that they'll be able to take the skills that were forced upon them and apply them going forward and saw so many practical applications uh, do, you know, like we've talked about reduce of travel time, weather in Northeast Colorado, like all of those different factors that, that go into telepractice in a, in a non-COVID world. So <laughs> I love when you talked about mentoring, cause it kind of turns into that, um, you know, if you, if you give a man a fish versus if you teach a man to fish, yeah. especially when we think about those low incidence disabilities, if we just come in and provide services, then the next kid who comes along with that is going to need someone else to come in and provide services versus if we, you know, teach the people that are already there in the community are invested in the everyday life of these kids, um, how to best provide these services then we provide it for everyone. And I know from experience, you know, working, going through a program that worked with kids that were deaf or hard of hearing, and then having the majority of my career be with 
kids that weren't deaf or hard of hearing. When I went into early intervention, I was one of the few people that like, I was like, oh yeah, I did early intervention in in college. Um, I did it in grad school and most of the other people didn't have that experience. So I think it's kind of that, like, it makes you better in all areas if you can work with those students. No, definitely. And then, you know, connected to uh, focused listening and spoken language therapists and services, that was something that many of the parents and professionals touched upon because, you know, as is, again, common in rural areas, there are very few professionals, if any, who have that specialized training certification. And so telepractice was a very successful solution to getting the listening and spoken language support that these specific group of kiddos with cochlear implants needed. And then they were also able to connect with their implant centers via technology as well. Um, So, so what is that? A tiny, teeny, tiniest silver lining that COVID has has brought us. So, (laughs) so. Let's hope we keep the, the the good people who want to continue doing telepractice who've had a positive experience will keep doing that. <clears throat> I we think hope so. <laughs> we hope so. You know, the, the people yeah. who've had you know a really negative experience, uh, hopefully that those attitudes will change <laughs> uh, over time. Because, <clears throat> but you know, telepractice is it's only going to get bigger and bigger as we go forward. I mean, everything that I'm I'm reading, uh, even after COVID if there ever is an after COVID period uh, of time that, you know, it's all here to stay. It's not going away. It's not going to be put back in its box, you know, to go back on the shelf. It's, it's here to stay and it's going to just continue to grow. No. And it's um, in my current work, my, when I started my job, all early intervention was provided 100% remotely uh, Mm because we were still coming off of COVID. And then we've slowly transitioned to be able to have fresh air home visits. And so um, the early intervention specialists have been able to do things. Fresh air. (laughs) You can be outside. You can be outside (laughs) and, and provide the services. What is it? Yes, yes. So fresh air. Okay. Yes, you can be outside and provide the service. Yes. <laughs> okay. I thought there was a technology glitch. <laughs> no, I was like, what is fresh air? You know, I mean, I'm in Maine, Todd, so we have fresh air everywhere. Okay. <laughs> but soon, soon you're going to have really cold fresh air. That's right. right. <laughs> so you so can have fresh you. air, teletherapy, <laughs> telepractice in the summers and spring, maybe. So fresh air in-person visits, we were able to start. Um, So I I probably misspoke. I apologize. So yes, fresh air in-person visits, we were able to transition from fully remote to um, somewhat of a hybrid. So maybe one one visit a month, they they got together for a fresh air outdoor in-person visit. And other visits, I feel like I have to (laughs) explain. So um, I've never heard it that way before. Okay. So that's good. That's good. So yes. And, and so, but slowly by slowly as our understanding of COVID has changed, we're now allowed to provide services in homes again and indoor community settings, but we're finding that there are so many circumstances that pop up that we're so glad that families have the infrastructure set up to do visits remotely that our therapists have their systems set up to develop uh, to provide services remotely cuz even say 10 15 minutes before you're supposed to meet with a family and something comes up and 
I've seen, you know, many examples that both the folks are like, let's hop on, let's hop on Zoom, let's do our, our service remotely. And um, and so even if the kiddo who's getting the tele the teletherapy isn't affected, maybe their brother is sick. And so an interventionist can't come into the home. Um, so they can still can still do their services remotely. Yeah. Um, something strange that we have at our school is we have wind days, which I didn't know that existed. Kind of goes with the fresh air, right? Exactly. Yeah, fresh air and wind. <laughs> exactly. All of it, all of it's connected, all nature. But um, but our school will shut down on windy days because we're on an island. And so um, our causeway will be washed out. Oh. And so, but our interventionists can still provide services remotely on these wind days or on a snow day um, to still, you know, keep services going and consistent for families. And so that's been, been really nice that even um, as we're able to get back into homes that the telepractice can still be used and utilized so easily because we have it, the infrastructure set up. That's great. I've, I've never heard of wind days before. So that's two new things, Todd. You know, yeah, I'm learning so much about Maine and how they're putting services in place. Yes. <laughs> so, Natalie, um, one thing that we like to do is it's called our moment of Zen. And so, I don't know if you've had a chance. Or are you know? Are you aware of our moment moment of Zen? I am not. I'm You're not very excited. So, about that. I'm I'm glad you're excited. So we have we have ten questions that we ask. We ask we've asked mostly the same questions to everyone who's been on, and you can answer in any way that you want. You can answer one word, or you can elaborate. Whatever you want to do. You ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. Okay, so what is the most used app on your phone? Maps. What? You just moved, right? Maps. maps. Oh, yes. maps. Oh, I was like, maps. With a T. I was like, what is maps? Maps. Maps. Yes, I yes, just you moved. Just... So everywhere I go has to go into the maps app and tells me where I need to go. I can gotcha. now get to Target and Costco and back to my house <laughs> without using a map. So. I don't think you need anything else in your life, Kim. Right? You I don't think Costco. so. <laughs> those two those, things. Those were yeah. the two things. <laughs> Some would maybe throw in IKEA on occasion, but I know I know how to get there too. It's it's well. in Las Vegas, but yes. <laughs> um, next question. What was the last TV show you streamed? Friends. Friends. So over Thanksgiving, my nephews and I watched every single Thanksgiving Friends episode. Oh, so. the Thanksgiving <laughs> That's good. Little little retro going back to Friends. Good. Retro? <laughs> Ouch. <God>. <laughs> currently, currently. You know it's when retro. Friends went off the air? Yes, I, mean, I do. We don't want to okay. talk about it. <laughs> It's not like she was watching like Happy Days or something like that. Which for I Love Lucy, that's retro, Todd. Okay, okay, fine, fine. Um, what's a what's a favorite book? Um, so let's see, a favorite book. I've that's a hard one. I have so many. 
Um, I actually just got a book over Thanksgiving from a gentleman. We stayed at his cabin and he has the most interesting life where he worked as a, a sheep shearer and it's, it's water for horses is the name of his book. And it's his, his biography. He doesn't sell it. He only gives it to people that he meets. And so I was lucky enough to get, get a signed copy of it. So, um, so that's my current favorite book. I have am halfway through it and it's only a few days after Thanksgiving. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Sounds like a neat one. Um, what's your favorite genre of music? Ooh, I have to go with country. So I have to go back to my roots. So <laughs> so you like country music. So that means you really don't like music, do you? Oh, Todd. Oh, <laughs> just, <kidding>. just kidding. <laughs> hey, I grew up in rural South Carolina. There you go. <laughs> Every station was country music. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Oh, Hmm. <laughs> Let's say Oprah. I think that would be a really great dinner to have with Oprah. She asks great questions and just seems like she'd be a really wonderful conversationalist to have dinner with. So I think that would be a very cool dinner to have for sure. <laughs> um, and now this is this will be an easy one for you. So where is the most exotic place you've been or the farthest place you've been? Well, probably, I mean, Kenya is probably Kenya. the furthest. Mm-hmm. And so, because I'm trying to think proximity wise, because I've been some places in Europe as well, but we'll just go with Kenya. Cause like you said, it's easy. So cool. <laughs> pretty, pretty darn exotic. So. Uh, what is the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way you'd like. Scary. Um, I mean, probably moving to Africa was a, a pretty scary, scary move to to take on. So, so yeah. That would, yeah, that would be a little scary for anyone. <laughs> I think. Um, what is one of your pet peeves? My pet peeves. Um, let's see. Cracking knuckles. <laughs> so the, when yeah. people just crack and crack and crack, that's a, a strange little pesky, insignificant pet peeve. So I can go grander, but we'll just stick with that. So. <laughs> you have a list, but oh, yeah. we'll just stop with that one. Okay. <clears throat> uh, if you didn't choose your current profession, what profession would you like to try? Um, I would want to be a sign language interpreter on Broadway. So. Oh. Oh, I like that. I can tell you've thought about this. Oh yeah, no, I know. I know the answer to that question, like the snap of my fingers. So that would that would be a cool cool thing to do. Yep. Yeah. Last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, <laughs> your family is right inside. I think. Very good. Well, Natalie, thank you for coming onto the podcast and sharing your dissertation with us, what what you learned, and good luck with everything in Maine. Sounds thank exciting. You so much. Yes. Come visit sometime and we'll experience fresh air wind days together. <laughs> Will do. It was great reconnecting with Natalie and hearing about her dissertation as well as learning more about what she's doing in Maine. I know the families and the children that she's working with will benefit 
from her experience and knowledge about telepractice, as well as, of course, early intervention with children with hearing loss and how to serve those families and children. So thank you again, Natalie, for joining us. And thank you for joining us again on this episode. If you don't mind, just a small favor, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new subscribers. And we want to share this information with as many people as we can. So that helps us. So that five-star review, go and do it. Uh, It just really helps out. And invite your friends. If you have other friends who are doing telepractice or who have an interest, let them know about the podcast, please. Uh, We just want to reach more people. And we hope to invite more people across the allied health disciplines to be guests on the show. And if you'd like to recommend someone, please email me at todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and we'll reach out to them and try to get them on the show. If you would like to be on the show and share some interesting resources or perspectives on telepractice service delivery, let us know and we will uh, reach out to you and, and maybe we will have you on the show too. So do that for us and that always helps us and we want to just be more inclusive and add more people and more guests not only as listeners, but also more guests who can join us and share really great information about their experiences with telepractice. So with that, we'll see you again next week. Thank you again. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.